You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're beginning a Christmas series we're calling Our Living Hope. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. You know, we all have challenges that we face daily. You know, very rarely does it seem like we start a day where there's not some task or obstacle that we're going to have to overcome. And we can call it a challenge and call it an obstacle. And as we go through that, think with me, there's all kinds of ways that you and I could look up and think, how am I going to go about facing this challenge? What am I going to do today? And so you might look up and say, well, it's going to be the power of positive thinking. I'm really going to, I'm just going to get after it today. I'm going to really work hard at this so that I can make sure that I get through to the other side. Then there may be those challenges that you and I look around at and say, this takes more than what I have. I'm going to need to bring in a team of people that we can work together, that we can get through this together. Because I recognize I've got some strengths but I also know I have some weaknesses. So what would really be helpful in this situation would be if I could bring in somebody that is strong in those areas where I'm weak. So we can start doing that. We may look up and say, you know what? I need this moment where I need to evaluate what resources I even have because I'm looking at this problem and now it takes a moment to step back and to look across and say, okay, if this problem is gonna get solved, It's going to be because I have these resources. And so we may need to even take inventory to make sure that we have the resources we need. And so when that moment happens, we do whatever we need to do, and then we sit down and we think, all right, this task is significant enough that I'm just going to keep going at it until it's done. Now think with me about what that looks like. You may have done that already this week. You may do that this upcoming week. I would imagine you would. The question for us today is what happens in that moment when you've done all of those things and you come to the reality that this is truly an impossible task? Is there's just no hope? I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't have the resources. I don't have a team. If I did have a team, there's no way to do it. There's no power of positive thinking that's going to work in this task. It's just not going to happen. And we have that moment where we're met with the hopelessness of the situation. Have you been there? I've been there. Because if you've been with us, we just finished this study uh, of 1 Peter. And when we came to it, we came to this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, where it says, Peter writes this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Blessed, happy, happy about what's going on. And this all has to do with God and his mercy, because he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, that phrase really should grab our attention a little bit, right? It's our living hope. Usually when you and I talk about hope, we don't talk about whether that hope is alive or if it's dead. We think about it as, well, I'm hopeful. And when you and I talk about hope, we talk about it generally in terms of, I hope it rains this week. I I hope it gets colder by Christmas, right? Because it hasn't been very cold yet. I hope Like there's this uncertainty, but I would like this to happen. When Scripture talks about hope, it doesn't mean that at all. When Scripture talks about hope, it means it is a certainty that just hasn't happened yet. And all of a sudden, we come back to the, he's caused us, the Lord has caused us to be born again to a living hope. This hope is alive. 
It is active, it's vibrant, it guides us through today, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Who doesn't want an inheritance like that? Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God has it and he's keeping it and it's there and it's protected for us. How do we live in that living hope? Well, that's our Christmas series this year. We're using what Peter said in 1 Peter 1 about this living hope to talk about what does that living hope mean at Christmas? So this morning as we move into our Christmas series, we're gonna talk about our, our hope for the situation that we find ourselves in. We're gonna find ourselves in two books today. I encourage you to, if you're not using the YouVersion app, to open up your copy of Scripture to Genesis chapter 3. Our second book we will be in will be Romans chapter 1 and chapter 5. But we're starting in Genesis 3 because if we're going to understand the situation that we're in, we need to have some grasp of what's going on in this situation that has created this environment where we find ourselves. If you're familiar with Scripture, you may be familiar with Genesis 1 and 2 tells about creation. Genesis 2, we see the very first wedding take place. We see Adam and Eve come together. There's been a tree in the garden that God said, don't eat of that, but everything else is yours. I want you to subdue the earth. You have a high degree of autonomy, and there is no sin in the world. Imagine being in a world with no sin. They live in perfect fellowship with God. They live in perfect fellowship with each other. We've never known the world of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And we come to Genesis 3. And a serpent, who we know to be our enemy, Satan, is in the garden as a serpent. And he begins to question the goodness of God and manages to get Eve to question the goodness of God and what God's doing and what God really said. And then she takes of the fruit of the tree. She eats, and we find out that she gave it to her husband who was with her. We didn't even know he was there. He was so silent. We don't even know that he's present. He's a no-show in this deal. And then we pick up our story. Chapter 3, verse 8. We read this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now let's stop for a second. Think with me about this relationship with God. If you know the Lord and you've walked with the Lord, you, you've gotten to know his heart, you know his word, but what you've never heard is the Lord God come walking through the garden to find you. 
the sound of leaves crackling as he comes. And they felt the guilt. They felt the shame. They knew what was going on when this happened. And they created a fig covering. If you look up one verse into verse 7 from where we started, you would hear, then the eyes of them were open. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And it's in that moment that we see they know the guilt and the shame. They are acutely aware of it. And when they feel exposed, the same way you and I feel exposed from time to time, as we start to cover up, we cover up those things that make us different. We cover up those moments where we think, maybe if I just put a cover over this, nobody will notice. We're not going to call attention to it. So they put these fig leaves on, and they tried to cover up, and yet that doesn't stop God. God still knows, and he speaks through it. And the question is, where are you? And it's a question God still is asking us today. Where are you? And you and I can stand there and we can try to put our fig leaves on as if that is an adequate covering for whatever we're facing. What are we facing? God had given them one explicit instruction. Do not eat of that tree. And we find ourselves in the situation where when the serpent comes and he's talking to Eve and he sees her, if you look back, you'll see it there in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree desired to make one wise. See, in 1 John, John writes, he talks about all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that is of this world. It has nothing to do with God the Father. And all of a sudden, what we see is those three things that John calls attention to in 1 John 2 are all three present in this very first sin. In this very first sin, lust of the eyes, it looked attractive, lust of the flesh. I'm craving food. My, body is in, my body's in charge, and I must do what my body says, and it's going to make me wise, pride of life. All three of those things that John mentions in 1 John chapter 2 are present in this very first sin. And all of a sudden, what we see is we have guilt shame, we've disobeyed, we've rebelled against God, and we find ourselves in this situation where we're thinking, you know what, let me just cover up my guilt. Let me just cover up my shame. Oh, here's some fig leaves. That'll do the trick. It doesn't do the trick. God comes walking through the garden, and he begins to ask them, what is going on? They own it, right? No, they don't own it. Adam says, she did it. Matter of fact, I didn't even ask for her. You gave her to me. God, you're complicit in this because you gave her to me. I was doing just fine all by myself. Looks at Eve. Eve, how about you? No, that serpent did it. And all of a sudden, not only is there, are there fig leaves trying to cover up, there's a lack of contrition. There's a lack of admission. So God hands out some judgment. Here's where it begins. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. When we see a snake on the ground, that is a reminder to us of the curse. Verse 15, still to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Snake, you need to understand there's something deeper going on here. 
You as a serpent are going to crawl on the ground. Satan, you need to recognize that there are consequences for you as well. From this point forward, there is a supernatural battle going on between the offspring of our enemy, Satan, who is there as a serpent, and the seed of the woman, humanity, is there will be this this spiritual battle between the seed of our enemy and the seed of Eve. And it's going to go on. It's going to go on and on and on. Matter of fact, we even read here that eventually the offspring of Eve is going to give a crushing blow to Satan's head. That happened at the cross. That happened at resurrection on Easter Sunday. You shall bruise his heel. As oh, it's going to hurt. There's going to be this battle moving forward. You're ultimately going to lose, Satan. But what we're going to see are there are going to be these moments where this happens. Verse 16, to the woman I shall multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. He looks at Adam and says, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Those consequences have touched all of creation. There is no part of creation that was not touched by what happened in the garden that day. There's perpetual conflict between mankind and evil. There's pain in childbirth. There's conflict in the home, in marriage. And matter of fact, the earth is broken. Like you, I grieve with what we saw. Four states ravaged by this tornado. Tremendous loss of life. This earth creation is broken because of all that went on in that. And yet, in the midst of that, because part of being made in the image of God is we have this volition. We have this sense where you and I have this level of autonomy where we can make decisions. As God said, don't eat of it, he didn't stop them from eating it. And you and I could look at him and say, well, God, why didn't you just stop them? Like, why didn't Eve's hand just kind of go down when, it didn't, when she went to grab it? God said, because you're made in my image, you have volition, you get to make choices. But recognize this, look with me at verse 20. You want to see hope? Here's where hope shows up. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all that was living. Remember what the consequence of the curse was going to be? If you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam already knows God's bringing hope. She's going to be the mother of all that's living. This, the end of this story isn't death. It's where we are right now, but the end of this story isn't death. The end of the story is Eve is going to give, be the mother of all that's living. Verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. He made new garments for them. The fig leaves were inadequate. That was our attempt to make a covering. God says, no, 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 no. See if this rings a bell. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So let's take the skin of an animal where we have shedding of blood, which points to animal sacrifice, which is going to come in, in the law and ultimately point toward Jesus Christ. No, your, your covering's inadequate. This is going to be more than a fig leaf. This doesn't take care of it. 
What you need is you need shedding of blood. You need a cover that only I can provide for you. And all of a sudden, God provides the covering. And all of a sudden, everything is moving into position. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. See the Trinity in that, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work. The ground from which he was taken, he drove out the man, and at the east end of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, we even see it in removing them from the garden. It was to protect them so that they didn't live forever in this fallen state. That's the situation that we found ourselves in. That's what set all of this in motion. Everything we see on the news today was set in motion on this day because of what happened. And so they leave the garden. They've got their coverings. Eve is going to be the mother of all that's living. The end of this story is not going to be death, but it's pretty bad. What happens? Well, turn with me, if you would, over to Romans chapter 1, and let's pick up the story where we see a clear indication of all that transpires in this moment. We're going to look at verse... 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Let's stop for a second. So as God begins to talk with us about what is our reality, it's from the moment sin entered the world, he wants us to know that he's made his identity clear to everybody throughout creation, is that you and I have the capacity to look at creation and say, there has to be a creator. There is no way this happens by chance. And he said, look, that's what God has done in this moment. And because he's now revealing himself, he's about to show us what that means. God is angry. It wasn't ever supposed to be this way. You and I look at him like, why does this happen? Where is God? God would say, I didn't design it this way. You ate the fruit. You made that choice. And I'm coming after you. Not only did you make the choice, you made up the fig leaves. I'm coming after you. Because I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. Even though you made a terrible decision, I want to know you and I want to have a relationship with you. And that means I have to do it because I have to be the one to redeem you. And he looks around and says, look around, look at creation. That tells you who I am. And all of a sudden we see that God holds us accountable for that. The fact that you and I can look at creation, and that's always the question, right? What about this tribe or group of people somewhere that they never hear the gospel? How do they know? And all I can tell you is, I don't know. That's between God and them. But what I do know is scripture makes it clear is that because we've been created with the soul, because God has revealed himself through creation, is that there is a natural instinct in us to look around and see that there has to be some design behind creation. By the way, let me tell you, if 
you have lost a child, if you have had somebody with a developmental disability, and the question is, what does God do? The culpability for our sin begins and ends with our capacity to look at creation, see creation, and recognize that there is a divine design in it. That's Romans chapter 1, what we just read. Be encouraged. For those of us who have lost children, maybe even in pregnancy, we will see those children again. Verse 21, what ends up happening in the midst of all of this? Well, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, it's not only that we had the capacity to see who God is through creation, we took it a step further. And we rejected God, and we weren't, did not honor God, and we, did not give, uh, we were not grateful to God for who he is and what he did for us. And all of a sudden, it creates this spiral path of darkness. It gets darker and darker and darker. Did you catch what that pathway is? They were there in that passage. Here's the first one. A refusing to honor or be grateful to God. That's where it all begins. If we do that, then the rest of these steps don't happen. But when we don't do that, here's the path. And you see this. I see it. I've seen it in my own life. I see it in other people's lives. I see it every time I turn on the news, right? Refusing to honor and be grateful to God. All of a sudden, now it's leading to a futility in my thinking. It's worthless thinking. If I don't honor and be grateful to God for who he is and what he's done, now all of a sudden my thinking is, well, who am I going to honor? I will honor somebody. Who am I going to honor? Who will I be grateful to? Now turn it inward. All of a sudden it turns inward and it leads to a foolish heart as if I am the king of my own destiny. And now more darkness comes in. Because now I am the be-all, end-all of creation, which leads me to these foolish claims of wisdom. You know what? Reality is, you need to listen to me because I have figured this thing out. I know what's going on in the world, and you ought to be listening to me because I can tell you what it's like. See how it gets darker? And then it leads to idolatry. Now all of a sudden, we have our idolatry, and either I'm the idol of my worship, or I start, doing other, uh, start looking at other parts of creation that would do it. He said, resembling mortal man or birds or animals and creeping things, as we end up somewhere where we say, well, there has to be somebody in charge. And you know where this went wrong? Because we didn't honor God as creator, who made his invisible attributes clearly visible to all of us. And yet our heart longs to find some object to worship, some person to worship. And when we reject him, then we end up like, let me worship the birds. See how dark that path gets? If we start going down the tubes in that, and all of a sudden we can see what's going on. And let me tell you, if you've ever been in darkness, it is a terrifying place to be. It's terrifying. Some of you will remember the tornado that came through Wichita Falls 30 years ago. Well, longer than that, 40 years ago. Let me tell you, I've lived through a hurricane where we didn't have power for a week. 
And at night when I had to go back to my house and try to find some clothes and I'm walking through and I've got a flashlight and it's terrifying, you can't see anything. And you know that evil's out there and you're praying that when you open the door, there's not a bad guy behind the door because you don't know. I think about our friends across the four states right now that lost their shelter. They lost their homes. They don't have power. They don't have cell phone towers. They feel isolated and alone. And yet this, what, what Paul is describing in Romans chapter 1, is talking about our isolation and our loneliness and the darkness in which we live between us and God. It's despairing. It's hopeless. No amount of power of positive thinking works in this situation. You can't build a team to get out of that environment. It's a terrible situation. It is a hopeless situation. What did God do because of that? Because God hands out consequences. You can choose your behaviors. You don't get to choose the consequences. This is where all these, where we ended up as humanity. And all of a sudden what we find, verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We're about to see that use. God gave them over three times. And each step where God gives them over, it's not that he said, it's not that he sends them over there. He says more like this, if you want this, then go have this. I made you. I know what you were made for. This isn't going to fulfill you. But if that's what you think you want, then I'm just going to let you go because it's what you, you want. And if I stop you, then you'll never know. So just go taste it. Go taste what you want, and you will see how disgusting it is. There's the first one of them that pops up. Look at the next one. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed for, with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. God said, I created a design. When you left me, you thought you became wise. It led down this pathway of darkness now to the point where you have taken what I designed and you've turned it for your own purposes. It wasn't supposed to be this way. Why didn't you stop them? Because you wanted it. And the only way for you to find out that you didn't want it was for you to go taste it and see that it's not good. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done and they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now, let's just stop for a second. He gave them over. He gave them over. He gave them over. Each time was a stair step away from him. The consequences got worse each and every time. And for anybody sitting in here today that says, well, you know what? I mean, golly, I'm so thankful I'm not like that. Listen to this list. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy. So far, he's caught everybody in the room at some point. Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. See, we're all caught. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, 
haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. We see that daily, don't we? New levels of evil. Who came up with that? Where did that idea even come up from? Because God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. And what's the end of the line when God keeps giving you over? You invent new ways to do evil. And that's who we are. That's who we are as a people. That's what we've done. And if you're still thinking, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good. I haven't invented any evil. Even if you made it through the envy and the slander and the haughtiness and all those other things. Look at that next one. Disobedient to parents. Anybody else find that to be a strange one listed in the midst of all of these terrible things? Because disobedience to parents is the same thing that happened in the garden, right? Where there was an authority and you reject the authority and say, I do it my way. It's the same sin. It's the same sin we have with God. It's the same sin children have with parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. See, it's not just that we walked out of the garden. We needed a new covering. We needed a covering. God provides the covering. He walks us out of the garden to protect us. And the end result is we're going to do all these things. We're going to see God. We're going to see creation. We're going to reject God. It's going to lead us down a downward path. God's going to say, you've chosen. This is the path. So here's what happens. God gave them over to a lust that led to enslavement. Now, all of a sudden, whatever I see or want, my body craves, anything I think is shiny, I'm all in, and I will become a slave to it. You think you want it? Go get it, and it will enslave you. Because the next thing happen is enslavement will lead to immoral passions. As all of a sudden, whatever the experiences that we can get, we start feeding that at every turn. Not hard to imagine. You see the statistics of what's out there. Uh, visually for people to uh, allow their minds to go down. It's out there everywhere, everywhere. Now, all of a sudden, that enslavement leads to immorality. And then guess what? That immorality leads to godlessness. The question is, see why we have a hopeless situation? What, What do we do? How do we step into this in ways that we can move through this? There's no power of You know what? Today, I'm going to be more moral. I'm going to be less godless. And now we start trying to work backwards. Okay, so now all of a sudden, I'm going to control those immoral passions. Okay, you know what? I'm going to conquer lust. And we just can't do it because we started going down that downward path. And you know where it began? I lack a gratitude to God and an honor and respect for who he is. And the moment we did that, all of these other dominoes began to fall. And we find ourselves in a situation that says, what's going to happen? Turn over, if you would, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Here's the problem. When we move where Paul has said we go, when we go down that path that Paul had said that we go down, all of a sudden, We are the be-all, end-all of creation. And now every other person is now just an object to us. They lack value because I'm the one to be idolized. I'm the one that matters. I'm the one. 
So it doesn't matter what I do to you. It doesn't matter how I treat you. It doesn't matter if I abuse you. It doesn't matter if I terminate you in, in the pregnancy. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I'm the only one that matters. I became my own God. I became the one. And the question is, where does that path lead? Away from God and away from image bearers. It matters. That's why our situation is so hopeless. Because who's the team that's going to come around you when there's nobody that values you at a selfless and sacrificial level? What if, what if God makes the move back to us? Because we can't do it on our own. What if God makes that move back to us? Romans chapter 5. You ready for some good news? Here's some great news. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we went down that pathway to darkness. God said, okay, here's your three levels of consequences. You know where that left us? I mean, Paul's pretty clear. We were weak, we were ungodly, and we were trapped. That's the end result. That's why there's hopelessness in our situation. How do we move towards God? We're weak. We wouldn't even choose to move towards him. But you know what? There's this incredible part of this passage that grabs hold of us, that even though we were weak, even though we were ungodly, that doesn't stop God. God is not a reactor. He doesn't react. He's intentional. He moves toward things. He moves toward things of beauty, worth, value. That's who he is. And so when we read this, all of a sudden we see it's while we were weak, while that was happening, Christ died. And he says, make no mistake, one will, will scarcely die for a person, re really even, I mean, a good person. But God died for us while we were sinners. And actually the phraseology captures this idea that we're enemies of God. It's not even that, that he died for us because we're adorable people, and man, didn't God get a good deal when he got me on his team? No, you were fighting against him. And he looked and said, I love you, and I want to have a relationship with you, and you're helpless against this situation. You can't do it. So you know what? You can throw all your punches at me you want. I'm coming after you. And all of a sudden, he starts showing up. But God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God initiates hope. God looks around and says, I'm not going to be controlled by your sin. I'm not going to be controlled by the fact that you pulled a piece of fruit off of a tree in a garden back in Genesis 3. That doesn't control me. I'm God. I'm sovereign. Righteousness will have to prevail because I'm God. Somebody has to pay the penalty because you sinned, and I've said that the penalty of sin is death. Somebody has to pay it, but you know what? I'm gonna pay it for you. And you and I were like, but I'm weak. He goes, I know, but I'm not godly. I know, but I'm gonna die for you anyway, because that's the only way to make you strong. It's the only way to make you godly, is if I come and do this 
for you. As a substitution, he died in that place for you and me. If you're here today and you say, oh, I know that path of downward darkness. I know that path. I know what those consequences of being turned over to my sin pattern is. I know what that is. Somewhere in that list of Romans 1, you caught me, at least in that disobedient to parents thing. You caught me, and I feel the darkness of this world. I feel the hopelessness of this world, and I, I am hopeless in my situation. It just doesn't get any better. I've tried to pull myself up by the boots. It doesn't work. Here's the great news. In your weakness, in your ungodliness, God says, I want to have a relationship with you. He said, and I'm going to be the one to make it happen. I'm going to send my son in the flesh to this earth. And he's going to go to the cross and pay the penalty of death for sins. But he didn't sin, so he could pay it for you, and he conquered death. And therefore, he can do it for the world. He paid the penalty. And all of a sudden, when we see this, that we see that, yeah, while we were weak, while we were ungodly, Jesus stepped up and paid that price. How do we know? Because it showed his love for us. What a moment. Look with me, if you would, at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. All of a sudden, those things start rolling backwards. All of a sudden, those giving overs roll back. All of a sudden, that pathway to darkness starts coming into the light. Walk with me. Live in the light. Be in the light with me. Where does light begin? With honoring God and respecting him with a grateful heart. And when you and I have the capacity to grasp that in our ungodly, sick, weak state, he still moved towards you to purchase your salvation, then that's where the gratitude comes from. And we learn to live in that. For if we all we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. He's got a plan. He's moving it forward. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. See, that story began, it began in Genesis 1 and 2, but in Genesis 3, when we look up and we see the reality of what sin did, and we start saying, okay, sin's into the world. We needed a covering. God provided it because our was inadequate. And he walked us out of the garden to protect us so that we didn't live in that state forever because he already knows. And Adam already knows. Adam says, I'm going to name you Eve. You're the mother of all this living. The end of this story doesn't have to be death because of God. And all of a sudden, he starts walking him out. And now all of a sudden, life has a chance to come alive. But as God turned us over each time, we got a chance to say, I choose differently. There's got to be a creator because those invisible attributes of God are still visible in all of creation. And now all of a sudden we can live life differently. And all of a sudden we come to a point in time where we need redemption. We need to be redeemed. We need to be purchased back, which is what Paul's talking about here. And you and I can say, well, I hope he paid enough. Oh, he paid enough. There's a theological word for that called propitiation. Aren't we glad? Because it means that the amount paid the amount paid equaled the amount that was owed. Because if there was any balance left on the spreadsheet of our life, it was still gonna cost us our life. So he paid it all in full. And once that was done, there we have the last word of that verse, verse 11. 
we have now received reconciliation. Is it against that backdrop that we've been redeemed? The price paid equaled the price it was owed. And in that moment, we become reconciled to God and we're back in fellowship with him. See, what happened to Adam and Eve was unthinkable, right? I mean, you and I, when we, when we sin, whether we run to it, jump into it, get pushed into it, whatever, whatever happens in those moments, you and I have had some experience with sin where we thought, even if it was only fleeting for a moment, I liked whatever that feeling was for a moment. I felt powerful, I felt strong, I felt wise, whatever. Adam and Eve walked into sin when they had never experienced anything less than perfect fellowship with God the Father. It's unthinkable. How did that happen? I don't know. But what I know is this, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life is still out there. And it always gets us. And all of a sudden, this passage, it began in Genesis 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. All of a sudden, we see that play out in Genesis 3, and here we are in Colossians 1. And you, who were once alienated, that enmity that was there, we were hostile to mind, we were doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled us. We've been brought back, we've been brought home. What a moment. We've been reconciled, how? By what we did? Absolutely not. We were reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order for this purpose that he may present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's where Paul says it there. How about back to this passage? For if while we were still sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now are we reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? That's the only hope we have in this situation because the reality is we still find ourselves in this world where all that's in this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world. We are still living in that reality. So how do we handle the impossible task? Well, we can do a couple of things. We can say, I need a team. All I would tell you is the only teammate that will work is Jesus Christ. That's it. You're not sufficient. Any other human being is not sufficient. The only teammate that gets you there is Jesus Christ. Well, let me, let me survey and inventory my resources. What do I have? Here's the deal. You have no resources to solve this problem. Jesus has all of the resources to solve this problem, which is why you want him for your teammate. Because this Christmas, when we come to this, what I would say is this. And uh, Dustin Binge is a theologian, and I, I think he captures it so well when he says, Christmas isn't just a time to make us feel cozy and warm about family, friends, and peace on earth. At the heart of the Christmas story is the truth that the human race is alienated from a holy God because of our sin, and we need a Savior. That's why we worship. That's why we worship our Lord. We step back into the light, and we take that opportunity to honor Him and respect Him for who He is because He's the only hope for our situation. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. 
from all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.